and he um, started feeling ill and he was maybe not feeling great for a few months and we were all home for Thanksgiving and I remember being with my um, sister who's older than me and he was getting some x-rays and some ultrasounds and we got some of the results back and we're reading them to my mom over the phone who is a physician and she, she says, yeah, from what you're saying, like your dad has cancer. And it was just like, we're just sitting there in the waiting room waiting for him to finish some other tests. And, and it's just one of these things that I think anyone who's been through any sort of diagnosis like this with their family members, you realize it, it really sort of changes your life. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go for that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. You just heard from Alexandra Zatarain as she recounts the few dread-filled hours that preceded her father's terminal cancer diagnosis. Though this fundamentally changed the course of her life, Alexandra dealt with the sudden grief by asking the same question she had always asked, what can I do? This unshakable dedication to problem solving has led up to her entrepreneurial endeavors as the co-founder of Eight Sleep, creating a temperature-regulated health monitoring bed. Spearheading the tech industry's exploration in sleep fitness, Alexandra's made Forbes 30 under 30, and her product has been recognized two years in a row by Time's Best Inventions of the Year. But she didn't always want to be an entrepreneur. In fact, her life began far from Silicon Valley. It began bouncing between San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. I want to go back to maybe some of like your earliest memories. So I grew up in Tijuana my entire life. That's where my parents are from. Um, like many of us that are blessed to grow up in the border towns of, of Mexico, um, we are born in the United States and then we just live our lives in Mexico. And it's very much the sort of like cross-border culture. And that's that was my case and, and that of my siblings. And and I always say like that's probably like one of the best presents my parents ever gave to me the opportunity to be an American citizen and sort of also live very close to the American culture. And that influenced a lot of my thinking and obviously the opportunities that I got in the professional world. What are some of those earliest memories uh, as a kid in, in Tijuana? Yeah, I don't know how many people you've met who grew up in Tijuana, but it's a pretty big city. Like now probably it has around 2 million people or so. And it is a, a city of sort of opportunities. It's perceived by a lot of people who immigrate from either the center of the country or the south of the country in Mexico or from other countries, especially in Central America, who come to Tijuana because it is really, really close to the borders. And so um, it is a place where uh, entrepreneurs would come and build businesses and would also find ways to do business with the United States more easily. And I think that influenced a lot of the memories that I have growing up there um, because it always felt like the U.S. and its opportunities were within reach. And I saw that in my family. You know, my dad was a business owner. He came from Sinaloa in Mexico from a really small town, and he moved to Tijuana when he was young, and he built a, a business. And so it was sort of just part of what that city's energy is like and, and what you would see around you all the time. What was his business? My dad had a company in auto parts, so um, he was self-taught in English and eventually started importing auto parts from American manufacturers or American brands um, into Mexico and distributing them uh, to sort of the local workshops and auto store, auto parts stores and things like that. Um, and so 
through that business that he built from zero um, with no outside capital and none of those things that you know I get to do in my own entrepreneurial journey. He, he gave us, my, both my parents gave us a fantastic life. And when we were kids, he, we would often go to the office with him. And, and I loved going to his office and I loved playing around with, you know, being on the desk and playing with his pens and his post-its. And I just always knew that I wanted a career, that that was really important for me and that I wanted to be able to have control over my career because I saw that as a blessing in my parents' life. My mom's a physician. And so with her private practice or when she was a teacher at university, it just felt like, the fact that they uh, were in their own way entrepreneurs, both of them, um, meant that they could be more present in our lives as well. And I think that was uh, such such a good thing to see. And, and it sort of made me even more inclined when the opportunity came about to take on the journey of being an entrepreneur myself. Yeah. So what does, do you think it meant to, I guess, take those initial steps? You know, I honestly never thought that I would be an entrepreneur growing up. I went to school for communications, so I always loved sort of media and PR and brand building and marketing and all of that side of things. And for a while, I wanted to go more into politics and maybe, you know, the dream of being sort of like some sort of head of communications of the presidency or like, you know, the, the equivalent to Mexico. And then I found like I couldn't because I wasn't born in Mexico. I couldn't hold that cabinet position. And then I'm like, well, I would have to go to the United States. And then I sort of just always gravitated towards those sorts of roles. And then um, eventually when entrepreneurship was became an opportunity for me, I didn't even think about it as, oh, I'm becoming a business owner now. It was just because I could get a chance to apply all of the things I love doing within marketing, within brand building to my own business. But it was as if just someone had invited me to do it for their own company. I just, I just jumped at the opportunity of working in the mission of what we're building, not necessarily at uh, jumping into owning a company itself. Was there any company or project that you were working on that you really felt that you were passionate about? In the years right before Eight Sleep, uh, Matteo and I, who is, Matteo's my husband, but he's also my co-founder and we've been together for over 10 years now. Um, we had been exploring a lot of different ideas and um, just sort of ideas that would come about of our own experiences. And so, you know, we started playing around with some concepts around like food delivery, this this food delivery sort of like meal kits. Uh, this was around the time when probably the HelloFresh of the world and Blue Apron were not even starting. So this was many, many years ago. And we thought, well, it would be great if we could do this with like Italian food, but like, let's teach people how to really cook real Italian food because Matteo is from Italy and that's where he grew up. Um, and we would just play around with these things over the weekend. And then we would put together a website and like launch it. And But it was sort of just us having fun and learning what it, did it mean to start a startup. Um, and we did the same around at a certain point, I became passionate about the idea of using uh, 3D printing as a technology to create customized jewelry. And there was this company called Shapeways and they were based in New York City where we were living as well. And we started connecting with them and sort of thinking, what are the possibilities? Let's build something. And so, yes, we tinkered around with some things out of just passion and sort of they were passion projects. Yeah, and, and I also want to dive in on what it's like going on that journey uh, and having a co-founder that's also your your significant other. Like, what, uh, how are like the dynamics different, or what what are some of the, you know, pitfalls or things that you had to to work through, and even cr like the idea creation phase. Were there any, I guess, like boundaries that you had to set up early on, or or frameworks to to be able to work together in that context? I always say that working with my partner, in my case, has been 
a tremendous advantage. Because when you really think about it, we have spent now probably at this point over eight years building Eight Sleep. And before that, we were working on these side projects and learning together. So I, I do feel like as a couple and as now business partners too, we are on the same page and we sort of drive together in the same direction. And we have a shared vision of what we want to build for our lives. And our business is a huge part of what we build in our lives. And I see that as an advantage because we're sort of both rowing in the same direction and we also are able to grow together. We know each other so well that we are also each other's biggest critics, but also biggest cheerleaders. But we have opted for just more of like a work-life integration approach versus being very strict on times when we are working and times where we are not. How did you uh, make sure that you guys were growing at the same rate? I think at the end of the day, we have grown at the same rate when you look at things just from where we are today and you look back, but we certainly go through phases. There will be phases where maybe he is growing faster than I am and then phases where I'm growing faster. And what has helped us is that we have over the years become much better at communicating with each other and giving each other that sort of feedback. It doesn't matter what it's about. There's we don't get offended or take it personal. And I think that has helped our partnership, both as partners in, in marriage, but also building a business, being able to share that very openly. And that has helped us grow together versus, to your point, grow apart. Yeah. So do you think like the framework you're operating within is like more towards radical candor? So it's like, you know, saying what's on your mind, um, with, from a place of love? Yes, yes. I, I, I always describe the type of relationship that we have as the, the way I tell Mateo is like, he is such a driver of, and, and has been such a contributor to where I am today. And I think you'll probably say the same thing of the role I've played in his life, that being partners in love is the most important component of all of this because whether that is just giving person your love as like your spouse, but just in general, like loving this person for who they are, for who they can be, for the journey that they're in means that everything that you express to them and how you support them and how you push them comes from that place of love, 100%. And I've, I've shared this in the past, when I whenever I talk about being in business with your partner is that you know, regardless of what happens in business or in our marriage, we're always going to be a very important part of our lives. And so while you're together, just seek to be the best you can for each other and be a part of the person you will become. And that doesn't mean that you will be forever together, right? Life happens. But while you are at it, like, why don't you try to maximize it for the benefit of both? So you were coming up with these these business ideas um and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you, what your father was going through um like 2013 um maybe like end of 2013 and and early 2014. so what my what happened to my father was such a huge catalyst and then how i perceived the opportunity with eight sleep because my dad was I think maybe at the time in his early 60s, and he um, started feeling ill and he was maybe not feeling great for a few months. And 
we were all home for Thanksgiving, uh, which is one of our adopted American holidays that we do celebrate as a family in Mexico. And um, we finally convinced him, like, you have to go to the doctor and, like, actually do other types of checks because nothing was really coming up in his blood tests and things like that. And I remember being with my um, sister, who's older than me, and he was getting some x-rays and some ultrasounds. And we got some of the results back and we're reading them to my mom over the phone, who is a physician. And she, she says, yeah, from what you're saying, like your dad has cancer. And it was just like, we're just sitting there in the waiting room, waiting for him to finish some other tests. And, and it's just one of these things that I think anyone who's been through any sort of diagnosis like this with their family members, you realize it, it really sort of changes your life. Um, and in, in our case, it, it was immediately, you know, you jump into well problem solving. It's like, well, what can we do? What does this mean? And, and for my mother, who's an experienced doctor, it was pretty clear that there, he was not in a good state. Like she, she just knew from what she was seeing, even without needing any other um, medical interpretation, that um, there wasn't much that probably could have been done. And uh, he passed away within four months of diagnosis. So it was pretty fast. And the reason why that influenced so much my decision well, really, to really, really quick, like, you know, in those four months, how are you feeling and how are you dealing with it? It's it's actually one of the things that probably is just such a part of my personality. And, and you were talking before about this sort of optimistic approach, but for good or bad, I'm really good at compartmentalizing and sort of rationalizing everything. And I'm, I'm probably like the problem solver in my family. So my just de facto mentality was, I need to just solve this. Like, how do I solve this? How do I support my mother? How do I support my siblings? How do I support emotionally my father? And it just, that was where my mind went. And it wasn't a lot about me dwelling into like what I was feeling. And again, for good and bad, right? Like a lot of people would say like, well, you have to feel it, you have to explore it, but all of us are different. And, and I think that is one of the things that has allowed me to go through so much in my life, even building a business, which building a business is an entire emotional journey, is that that was what happened to me. It was just, okay, like, what do I do? I have to fly back to New York, I have a job, right? And I'm going to be very far away from my family and my family is going through all of this. Well, how do I support them? Do they need financial help? Do they need emotional support? And, you know, I started calling my father every single day. My dad and I wouldn't really speak at the phone every day before that, probably not even once a week. Um, and so just, I, it was just problem solving and sort of situationally what needs to get done in the moment and trying to figure it out and keeping everyone together. Was there a point where you allowed yourself to like feel what was going on? I don't think so. I think it's still something that like will bubble up every now and then, but I don't think so. Even the moment he passed away and my mother calls me and I'm in New York and I'm alone and Mateo's traveling. She says, your dad passed away last night. It's like, okay, I'm there, I'm coming, right? What do you need? Like, I'm just that, that's me. And like, that's maybe one of the strengths that I have, but I think, yes, like it, 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 it could become a weakness over time when you're trying to just sort of solve everything and rationalize everything. Um, but, I, but I think it has happened so many times now, whether it is in business or in, in life, when I, you know, when another loved one may pass away and like, it just, I have seen it now. Initially, I thought that that's, that was just how I was dealing with that specific situation. I've seen it now be a part of just how I deal with all of these types of situations in my life. Um, and when they bubble up, I think anyone that has experienced this, and so when it does show up and it could be you're listening to a song or you, there's a, a scent somewhere that will just like hit you, 
I just let it hit me. Like at that point, I will just dwell on it and just maybe I'll cry for 30 minutes or I'll call my sister or I'll text her and be like, I'm crying for no reason right now. And um, then I'll move on again and it'll come back at some other point. It does seem like like a strength, like to be able to to turn grief into action. It seems like also this this is some of the action that created eight sleep. So could you, I guess, like talk to me about the, the beginnings of, of thinking about this idea and how it related to your father's passing? The idea of eight sleep actually came from Matteo and his struggles with sleep. So Matteo has a condition called restless legs. And so he struggles with restless leg syndrome overnight usually is when it flares up. And so he'll be restless. He wakes up, he loses sleep quality, right? So it is not something that you really have a blanket solution to. There's no like treatment that will cure you from it. Um, but that's what led him to look into sleep in general because he's, his sleep was worsening. And as he looked into it, he also got um, really obsessed with the idea of optimizing sleep. He thought, well, what if we actually found a way to give people the same level of recovery that you would get in eight hours, but give it to them in six hours? Would that be possible? And they decided, well, why don't we build a prototype of a technology that could allow us to seamlessly track your sleep in bed without you wearing anything, and then use that information to make different adjustments throughout your sleeping environment to give you the best sleep possible. So essentially what they came up with at the time is still what we do today. That's the premise of our products is to go from just tracking data to using that data to personalize your environment. And the hypothesis here is that if we personalize, we'll be able to optimize everything to what you need. And if we do that, then you should be getting better sleep. And eventually you should be able to get the same level of rest with less hours. So they sort of pitched me this idea at some point, And this was maybe a month after my father had passed away. And they said, well, would you like to join us to build this? We need someone to take this product to market. And what went through my mind was that as they described to me the potential of the technology, they said that this technology could be used to track your sleep, but also track your health. And eventually it would be able to detect different things happening within your body. And that was sort of the aha moment for me that I knew what my father had been through in the last four months of his life. And sleep is the first thing that sort of went away. Like he's lost his ability to sleep. He had been a pretty good sleeper before then. And it became really a struggle for him to fall asleep. And also there was really no monitoring of him while he was at home. Like you have to be in a hospital to be monitored all the time. So I thought, wow, it would be so incredible if all of us, as we are going through life and as we age, like it happens to all of us, we can have a way to monitor any changes in our body because I'm sure that there will be a lot of different conditions that could be identified ahead of time. And second, if you are going through an illness, imagine the beauty of having a product like this in everyone's home. So you had that vision. What were the first steps of actually making it a reality? One of the first steps that we took from like idea to actually building a company was build a prototype. We are a primarily hardware company. Most of really the value also that we have is all the intelligence and the products. There's a lot of software and machine learning, things like that. But building the prototype of this product was really key. So 
Max built a prototype in his house in San Francisco and um, actually Matteo and Max at that time, if I remember it was probably like March 2014, hosted a dinner for friends. They just invited friends to come over and they called it like, the, it's, it's the mythical pajama party that's sort of this inception of eight sleep because they invited some friends to come over and try the product in Max's bedroom and just see what would happen and it was a set of sensors connected to Max's laptop so you can see in real time that this was able to track you and it could also change the lights in your room and it was just really a prototype to show you the potential but out of that dinner one of their friends offered to make the first investment in what was at the time a non-existent company but that gave them that idea that well maybe there's something here that we can do so why don't we move this forward and that's where really eight sleep comes from is that pajama party what did that feel like for you to to have that vote of confidence from from a friend if anything i think the moment you take outside investment it ups the ante it's not just your money going into building this business anymore by now you have the money of other people and a lot of times those first checks are your friends or are your family members and so it means you probably have more pressure that feeling that you have to deliver for them because there are some relationships in the way and so uh now that you have to deliver like did, were you also like applying to other like accelerators we didn't know anything about what it meant to bring a product like this to market and you really we were so naive at the time that it's part of the maybe most beautiful face of a company when you are naive but you're taking risks and you're not afraid to fail and you're constantly failing and learning but i would say that what got us through is that we were very for the most part humble and and very self-aware and we knew that we knew nothing and so one of the first steps was to try to connect with people who had done it before and we didn't have maybe as good of a network as we have nowadays after all of these years and so it was really anyone that we can get introduced to and that could be well this person who worked at this startup that launched this hardware product and just ask as many questions as possible and that was the first few months but we obviously like many startups wanted to get into the best accelerators out there and we applied to y combinator a couple of times and got rejected and then we launched our product in crowdfunding because we decided that we had to actually validate if anyone in the world wanted a product like this. And after the success of that crowdfunding, we finally got into Y Combinator. So yeah, how did you actually create the crowdfunding? We did a video where we had to write a script and we had to create not only an amazing crowdfunding page with all this clear storytelling, but also our own website because people want to know about this company and this group of people who are building this. So it is a whole thing. And at the time it was 2015 when we launched it. So crowdfunding was really popular. And that is, an, I think an advantage we had because there were a lot of eyeballs into all of these campaigns. And there was this incredible community of people that would support things that they liked on these platforms. So we ended up doing really well, but it was a risk because you put your product out there and it could totally fail in public and everyone would know how much or how little you had actually sold. And how much did you actually uh, raise? So we ended up doing in crowdfunding over 1.2 million in pre-orders, I believe. Wow. We were very surprised, I think, of the first order. We put the campaign live maybe around midnight and we saw a first order come in maybe like three hours later. So that person will forever be the very first customer Aidsleep had. 
That's so cool. Uh, and so you have all this traction on, with crowdfunding. So I imagine when you uh, ended up like applying to accelerators, that that helped a lot. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, how you applied to Y Combinator? And tell me a little bit about what Y Combinator is and why you wanted to be a part of it. Y Combinator is the most prestigious and maybe the accelerator with the best track record in the world, right? So a lot of the most amazing and uh, generationally defining companies that we think of today from Dropbox to Airbnb to Instacart to Coinbase, so just so many of them are YC companies. And um, in the at the end of the day, for us, it has also become just one of the most valuable networks you can be a part of uh, when you are building a company in the technology industry. So that's what we wanted to be a part of it because all of us as founders had sort of what you could think of non-traditional backgrounds, meaning we didn't go to school in the United States, we didn't graduate from American colleges, we didn't have established networks in this country, and we really were looking for an in into that network. We needed the validation, we needed someone to say, these founders have the potential to build a true business. Um, up until that point, uh, there was very little confidence in sort of traditional venture capitalists that we could really make it happen. So that's why we were so eager to get in. And after the success in our crowdfunding, um, YC reached out uh, because they were looking to bring in more hardware companies. And so they said, well, are you considering applying? And they do this very often, right? They do a lot of outreach. And at the end of the day, I still remember we spent like an entire Saturday thinking, should we? Should we even spend the time building all these answers and this video that you had to submit for your application? And we did. And, you know, we're here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so what did YC do for you guys? It opened us up to one, a, a unique way of thinking. When you go into YC, you get paired and in, in, in you get put in certain groups and you get paired with partners, meaning the, the sort of the mentors or the, the people who are providing the guidance during the program. And we had people like Gary Tan and we had Michael Seibel, right? Like we were so lucky. Just that, the, the mental frameworks that we absorbed from it and the network and being connected to these outstanding peers of entrepreneurs who are all very ambitious and working very hard. You're learning from these people around you every single day. That's so cool. I mean, and it sounds like a, a, an amazing opportunity. So uh, can you, I guess, lead me up to where 8sleep is today? Now we fast forward from everything we've been talking about and we get to 2022. We are still in that same journey of building towards our mission of helping people just optimize their life through better sleep. How do you get the most out of the life you want to have, unlock your full potential through sleep fitness. And we build products that are all tech driven, whether it's hardware or software, that will help you achieve that. Where we're still going is that there's a lot more innovation to develop. We are working on a lot of other technology um, developments that can help tackle other problems around sleep. We know that today our current products are the pod, which is our most popular product, helps people get you know, up to 35% higher quality sleep, which is clinically validated, more deep sleep every night, higher recovery, like it's it's all there. Now it's about, well, what else can we build? What are other problems people have around their sleep and how do we solve them? To wrap up, um, what do you think is like the biggest learning lesson you've had in going on this journey and, and creating like this very successful company? The biggest learning I've had in building the company so far is that as humans, we can really be our biggest um, 
limitation, our own limitation for ourselves. And so that the best way to approach life is with a mindset of growth and challenge rather than looking for comfort and for maintaining the status quo. Um, Because life will throw at you so many things. And this is not just in business. That is how life is. There will be challenges, there will be illness, there will be loss, there will be death, there will be uh, also a lot of fantastic moments. So the change is the constant in life. And so if you approach it with that mindset of uh, accepting challenge as a good thing and looking to learn from the challenge and become a better person, I believe that you will find yourself more fulfilled in life. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Renee Buchanan, Sophia Donner, David Saidi, Ashley Jimenez, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong. With support from Sarah Hobson, Cherise Tan, Harushi Kanauchi, Kristen Hagelin, Aya Cortez, and Valencia Lee. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from Aiden Ashworth, Nikki Mukawa, Sylvie Wong, and Eric Mena. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand with support from Tiffany Dang, Yao Liu, and Dina Gabriel. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.